people come to the San Francisco Bay Area for many reasons, a spectacular natural setting, a sophisticated lifestyle, and unique professional opportunities. Those seeking these qualities will find all that and more at Hacienda, where you can work, live, and grow. A Hacienda location means having the best of everything within easy reach. Whether it's world-class restaurants, theaters, and museums, the best learning institutions in the country, or some of the finest services available. That particularly applies to businesses wanting the best address to have easy access to needed resources, being among the industry leaders, and knowing that you are part of a region that leads the world in innovation. The result, an unbeatable combination that leads to success, and that is what you will find at Hacienda. Find out more by visiting Hacienda on the web at hacienda.org. In today's conversation, we sit down with Jerry Zevenbergen and T.R. Hazelrake, co-founders of Seattle-based Avatar Financial. As CEO and president, Jerry and T.R., respectively, run an organization focused on bridge lending across the commercial real estate spectrum. And they give us a sense of where the industry is today and some of the challenges that their clients are facing. Bridge lending can be a lifesaver in some cases, and their perspective on the market helps us understand how it will evolve over the next few years. Welcome to the podcast, gentlemen. Jerry, TR, good morning. Gentlemen, how are you? Doing great. Doing well. Good morning. Where do we find you today? Are you guys uh, working in your offices, your home offices? Where Where do we find you? Well, I'm at uh, World Headquarters in Seattle, overlooking Lake Union. And this is TR. I'm uh, remote. I'm in Park City today. Oh, excellent. Okay, excellent. So... I guess when you have your own company, you can kind of pick where you want to be uh, every day, right? So that gives you some flexibility. Well, by way of introduction, would you mind uh, kind of giving us a little bit of what your company does, what you guys do there, how you met, just a little bit of a taste of um, about Avatar and uh, how it came to be? Sure, sure. I was a, a partner with a CPA firm called Moss Adams, and I had been auditing a, a company that was in the business of making making loans that and buying notes that uh, weren't weren't a fit for a bank all real estate based and that that company uh, the founder was uh, getting into his 70s and uh, and asked me to come and, and join as the CEO and uh, fortuitously a couple weeks later I was I was interviewing TR who was just graduating from USC and their entrepreneurial program and uh, and hired him on and a year later he was our top producer of loan generation at there at, at uh, Pacific Coast name of that company we're in the business of making bridge loans and so it's they're all real estate based real estate secured generally for a period of about two years or less and there's just a lot of transactions that for banks they're not really in that collateral lending business they're in relationship banking they're in transactional things that involve liquid assets such as receivables and inventory and and that type of thing real estate for most banks is not a focus and so for us uh, we provide that that capital when a bank either isn't able to do the transaction or not able to do it in a timely fashion. Jerry and I started together um, in 1995 at the previous firm, but we, we grew that company 
over numerous years from a Western Washington-based private lender to a national lender. Our loan sizes uh, moved from 500,000 to a million, up to $29 million in our portfolio, up to a, hundred, a couple hundred million dollars. But at that time, we were crowdfunding company before there was terminology for it. So we had about 850 private investors. And once the company grew to a couple hundred million dollar portfolio, it just, without the technology that's available today, it just was not a feasible way to operate a company of that size. So in 2003, Jerry and I spun off and uh, co-founded Avatar, which is our current company. Got it. And tell us a little bit about, you know, bridge lending, you know, how how big of a sector in commercial real estate lending th- this is? How important is it? I mean, I know you you guys are obviously live and breathe this every every day, but just for our, for our audience to get a little bit of a sense kind of where you fit in kind of in the bigger puzzle of, uh, you know, commercial real estate lending. Yeah, that, that's a question that for 26 years, I've been asked that question. And because of it, it, it is by definition private lending, there is no reporting. So it's, it's a question without, I think, any reasonable answer. We, we all know it's there. We're, we're, there are a lot of actors in our space. It ebbs and flows uh, depending on the regulatory environment. So I'd say today we're in a similar situation as maybe 2010, 11, uh, where there was huge need for alternative financing because the the banks had been uh, had had really retracted so i couldn't tell you the size in, in dollar amount but i can you know assure you that there are a lot of borrowers out there today that because of suboptimal performance due to covid they're currently not qualifying for bank financing so it's probably at a at least a decade long uh, you know peak and and I would expect it to be there for a couple of years so there's both people that have loans maturing but have had suboptimal performance and there are also a lot of larger commercial debt that have loan covenants so on top of making a your interest payment your apartment building for example was supposed to be at 85 percent or higher occupancy you had a debt yep. to income ratio and um, through no fault of these borrowers, um, especially in major cities, a lot of apartment buildings emptied out. They appear to be filling back up, but that's still a default. And uh, many lenders are calling borrowers currently on covenant defaults. So we're in kind of our go time. Interesting. And we'll get into sort of who your typical client is, but overall, who would be a typical, not just for Avatar, but generally in the industry, who would be a typical borrower and then what's the profile of a, of a, of, of a lender? So who, who do you guys work with on the other side of this, uh, of the loans? The profile of the borrowers, they're primarily real estate investors. So they're, they're people who oftentimes our borrowers have balance sheets that are very heavy uh, with real estate investment. And they're, they're trying to get the next transaction done. And uh, that's, that's who who we see in this space quite a bit. It's We have done some owner-occupied loans based on real estate for an operating business, but that's, uh, that's not all that common in, in our space. I'd say the, the borrower that we saw historically is very different than the borrower we're seeing today. So the, the borrower today is 
a corporation, an LLC, an individual that never may have heard of, of private or alternative hard money lending, but is in a situation now where they need a bridge loan because they're, again, not qualifying or they've been called on some type of covenant default. So there, there's a much broader range of borrowers in, in today's environment than your typical um, entrepreneurial um, real estate investor. Yeah. On the borrowing side, uh, meaning the companies that, that you work with that you know provide the funding, are these institutions, high net worth individuals, all of the above? How does that landscape look like? Well, most of that, the funding comes from our investor group. Uh, so we, we work with uh, a lot of uh, high net worth individuals vested in our, in our fund, some family offices, and then some of what I'd call uh, semi-institutional financing. They're, they're, they're large companies, and, and uh, we partner with them on, on certain transactions. But most of that uh, of the activity we're involved in is just funded with relationships and, and investors who are ready to participate with Avatar on a regular basis. Yeah, interesting. So, TR, I think you said, you know, for the last decade, it's been kind of a busy time for you guys, which which I think is good, <laughs> right? As you guys kind of look at that period and then sort of through COVID and post-COVID, what are some of the trends? What are some of the, you know, things on that trajectory that you would identify, you know, characterize the, in, the uh, industry for you guys? I think the next two years will probably be the busiest time that we've seen in the last 10 years and possibly for the next 10. So for, for everybody in our space, because of the disruption that happened with, with COVID, it's, it, it's our, it's our time to shine. So I think everybody, uh, you know, is going to be burning the wick at both ends and, and uh, solving a lot of people's problems and also letting a lot of people walk into some opportunities that are going to present themselves because of the, the different disruptions. A lot of banks, uh, if they're if they're not already involved in a real estate transaction, they've just kind of put the brakes on. They're still in a wait and see attitude with regard to the effects of COVID, uh, and, and especially now as the variant uh, has come along, we, we thought we'd kind of solved it, but. Uh, we're seeing, looking at a deal right now on on the purchase of uh, of student housing, and it you one would expect that would get done at a bank someplace than yeah. or more conventional type funding than than Avatar. It's not, and there's some issue with uh, in this case some some retail space that is part of the mix. That retail space is vacant, and it's just a matter of. You know, having some faith that 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 problem will resolve itself. It's at a at near a good school with good uh, occupancy in terms of their student census, but your traditional sources are just going. Don't don't confuse me with the facts. We're going to wait and see. One thing I'd add to that that I think everybody could conceptualize is an asset class that's toxic right now that you drive by every day on. Uh, what it, no matter what city you're in is hospitality. So from your, your days in to your four seasons, Wall Street, banks, nobody will even talk to you if you have a, a loan that's maturing. And people have a lot of pent up demand for travel. The average American savings increased uh, during COVID. So 
people are out traveling and a lot of these hotels are filling back up, you can be at a 30% loan to value, um, have a loan maturing, have excellent credit and have a, a freeway service hotel that most of those in our portfolio did relatively well uh, throughout yeah. COVID. You dial for dollars all day long and every single banker is going to hang up on you and try to get off the phone as quickly as possible. So that's a major asset class that's toxic at the moment and some bell's going to ring and Wells Fargo, Bank of America, everybody's going to suddenly be running hospitality again. But in the interim, there's a huge void. Interesting. And and I guess my kind of quick follow-up question to that was also over that last decade, over, over the last few years, have there been you know certain asset classes that have been more prone to to your type of lending? I would say hospitality historically has been about twenty five percent of our business, and the reason is a lot of those uh, hotels, as as Tr mentioned, you know, Holiday Inn Express, something like that. It's a it's a hundred units. It's the type of hotel that a family can can operate. There is a, a lot of that kind of, of uh, management in that business. People can come together and get a down payment put together, a lot of times with help from relatives. Once they're in the property and operating and demonstrating that their you know, financial performance, uh, most of the time the exit is through an SBA loan. And so they use our bridge loan to get into the property, establish themselves with some seasoning of operations, sure. and then SBA takes them out. Other than hospitality, have there been, you mentioned student housing, you mentioned multifamily. Have you seen office product, retail, others uh, that have sort of popped up into, into the space more than normally? Or Well, we, we see various opportunities, and, and we look at the What's it going to take to get the deal done relative to the value of that asset a lot harder than we look at the particular asset type? Uh, there's, and it may take a different discount to the value in order for us to be interested in making the loan. But uh, it, it, it is the situation that comes up oftentimes with people who you can have a situation where somebody was going to be buying a, an office building and the bank had indicated they, you know, they were working with a bank that indicated they were going to fund it. Three weeks before closing, they get that call that says, you know, uh, we got to credit committee and no, that we're not going to be able to help you. Sorry. And now they call us. And, uh, and so they a lot of times have third party reports like appraisals and environmental and property condition. All that work is done. And so we're able to utilize that put something together in a very expedited fashion yeah, and just get them. Uh, it's not uncommon that they have a fairly hefty uh, non-refundable deposit. Uh, not to mention they've researched this deal and they, and they want the project, you know, they want to take on that property and they don't want to let it go. And so it makes sense for them to, to pay a premium to avatar and, uh, or to some other bridge lender and to, get the transaction done, stabilize the property. That might mean getting a few new tenants in and, and season. And then they're, they're ready for more conventional type finance. One product type I didn't hear mentioned is industrial. Um, and right. if you're outside of the real estate arena, that may sound unattractive to you, but it's actually, 
if you're uh, looking at your your portfolio and what what are some of the strongest assets in there, it's actually a very <laughs> sexy ac- uh, asset class from a lending standpoint. I, I'd say um, COVID really proved that. Um, uh, there was really almost no uh, pullback in occupancy levels. Um, if anything, most major cities, the occupancy level and price per square foot uh, increased through COVID. Um, almost every analyst uh, whose calls I sat in from uh, major appraisal firms and what have you all felt that it, it held the strongest and it emerged the strongest. So just another asset class that we're very eager to lend on when the opportunity arises. Yeah, that one I would say has been sort of the golden child of uh, of the sort of COVID era for sure. If anything, that asset class has probably gained in um, its importance right over 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 this kind of last period of eighteen months or so. And I imagine uh, other lenders are probably think of it as less of a risky asset in general, right? Because of that. So yeah, one thing I was going to mention that I thought was interesting personally this recession versus every other is every other. Uh, when you looked at multifamily, your class C, the so the the kind of the working man's apartment was kind of the ballast because yeah. the A and B started the A may start to empty out because white collar people were losing their jobs, moving down to B, B down to C, C 100% occupied. In this recession, the white collar worker worked remotely, kept their job, kept paying their rent, but the maid at the um, at your hotel. Uh, the person at the front desk, all all these uh, type of workers suddenly found themselves out of work. So it might have kind of flipped what, from what you would have historically expected to where the Class C were having uh, problems with um, with rent collection, where, whereas Class A was uh, clipping right along. That's exactly right. So one of the things you guys mentioned is when you first started off, your 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 focus was uh, you know primarily Western Washington, but now you are throughout the entire nation, right? As you kind of canvass the industry throughout throughout the country, uh, you know what what are you seeing? Are you seeing certain parts of the country emerge a little faster? Kind of what what's your sense of where where the industry is, and, and maybe by certain by certain product type also? Sure, I, I think the. The one area that that historically has been very strong for us that currently is is uh, sluggish for various reasons is the Northeast. E- even you know New York City and the bureau boroughs, there has been a lot of cons- uh, restriction about evicting tenants. You've got a lot of non-payment going on. There's there's been uncertainty, and people have kind of backed up from that market because there's just there's some unresolved issues with existing uh, lenders, and it's unresolved because the government has stepped in and put their their thumb on it and said, you know, we're we're not going to let you move forward with any type of litigation, with foreclosure and so forth. Uh, foreclosures often uh, get people to s- see things more clearly than they might have before they were in that situation, and they'll they'll do what they need to 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 resolve the situation, but when you just give them more time, more time, they they continue to hope for things they probably shouldn't hope for. So that's one area that's where one you're area. seeing yeah. sort of you know you know challenges. What about Southeast? Uh, you know the Midwest Florida, and other parts. Florida is a very hot market right now. We're seeing a lot of business come out of there, or at least uh, inquiry. Property values are dramatically increasing. 
Uh, Texas is very strong, and, and and California continues to do well. And those are those are areas that we're we're very active in. As business owners, when you you know run your business, is this the kind of business where you need sort of boots on the ground in those certain geographies, or is it all sort of run out of your kind of Seattle HQ here um, lo- locally? We have always had the a value that said we're not going to lend on anything we haven't touched. Okay, so a, a, as you start stretching to the across the country, that is a little challenging, but we've continued to do so. And recently, we, we've actually brought on some help, two people from Texas, uh, one in Dallas and one in Houston. Uh, our partner and our, our employee in Houston, now director of the company, has a long history of being a lender in the Florida, Georgia market. And is very familiar with that. And uh, our, our other associate in Dallas, he's two and a half decades with uh, uh, Goldman Sachs. He's he's kind of seen and done it all, but he has a, a lot of uh, local flavor there for the Texas market. And kind of interesting, we brought him on about 120, 120 days ago, and I think we've we've had four deals in Texas that he's been able to drive to. And, and put boots on the ground, and and uh, he's he's uh, going to be a, a great asset for us. As you guys, you run and own own your business. I've seen this with other business owners, also. You know, our little business, uh, including in our little business, COVID was you know a great challenge for everybody, but there were also a lot of opportunities. How did those opportunities manifest themselves for for Avatar? Well, I think at the, at the beginning, Jerry and I really didn't know which way this was going to go. Uh, it somewhat felt like the beginning of 08. The results were drastically, you know, drastically different. Instead of having a complete meltdown in our space, as I was mentioning earlier, it, it's caused all this opportunity. So I think, you know, we fattened down the hatches for the first three to four months, not knowing what the heck was going to go on. This wasn't, uh, COVID wasn't in our forecast anywhere. And um, once we started to see that, that it, you know, it looked as if the economy was going to make it through here and all these different dislocations were actually going to end up being a benefit and our portfolio held outstandingly well, we ended up with uh, an over a 9% annualized uh, return on the portfolio in 2020, which uh, you know, given that <laughs> what was happening and, and the payment yeah. challenges people were having, we just performed exceptionally well, which put us in a position to, to really start funding when the need came back. One of the things we did when COVID hit was we were conversation with every one of our borrowers. And we were, you know, we already have a pretty good idea of what our borrowers are up to, but but we just got closer at that point and entered into some arrangements to to you know get them over the hump uh, in, in terms of figuring out what was going to happen and, and some needed more help than others and they've all just been very appreciative of that and uh, as TR indicates the performance uh, came back very strong so knowing your customer is. is Still a very good principle to operate by in any business, but especially ours. 
Yeah, no, no, hundred percent. And and I think if if I heard you guys explain this correctly, I mean you're you're basically saying we went down and really understood what the challenges are, you know, connected with everybody that we work with and sort of use that personal contact as a as a way to understand what what the risks are for the for the business. And and I think that is something that um, you know, every successful business does on a on a regular basis. As as you kind of look at what differentiates you from 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 others? Would you say that you know Avatar has that approach that perhaps is, you know, something that you know makes you guys stand out from others in the in the industry? Well, we have always tried to do what what makes sense in a particular situation. When when a borrower is having a problem, we're both having a problem, and so we approach it that way. Is a how how do we solve for you know the current situation, how can we help? You know, we, obviously, what can you do to make it work for us? And uh, it is a TR and I are involved at the beginning of a loan. We're involved in servicing, and we know that borrower, so it, it's just easier for us to to not have a lot of hard and fast rules as some others might. I'd say we're we're very different than some of our competition, especially in the larger transactions that are Wall Street-based, they're looking to print as many loans, securitize them, sell them off as possible, and you know do that in a somewhat formulaic approach, whereas we're the opposite. We're, we're very hands-on. Right when we have a term sheet signed, we have a all-hands-on-deck call with the borrower so they get to know who the team, the team is. They'll have direct correspondence with myself or Jerry throughout the process. And we stick with that loan cradle to grave. So it's not being securitized and sold off and, and going to have some large servicer that you have no relationship with having that loan forward. Uh, you know, they, are, they will be dealing with us for the entire term. So I, I think a lot of our borrowers see a lot of value there, but more importantly, the brokers that continue to bring us deals year in and year out. I think I uh, see that that's a major differentiation. Yeah. What is then next for your company? I mean, you're now as a, as you know, business owners officially entering, I guess your second cycle, right? <laughs> uh, you, you've been through a few overall, but, but as, as uh, you know, folks that run, run your own business, this is now the second one, right? How do you think the next one is going to shape the company? Well, we uh, have been looking at forming a debt fund for about five years. And uh, at the at the about the middle of last year, which would seem an odd time uh, given COVID, we said this this just needs to happen. We we previously had been our investors had been investing in individual loans, and they take a, a piece of one and a piece of another, all the participation, and and it was our business growing. And that model worked fine when we were smaller, but it's gotten more cumbersome, gotten cumbersome for us, and it's cumbersome for our investors. And so by creating a fund where the investor is able to make an equity contribution, and once that money is in and deployed, it it stays in the fund until they request it out. That allows us to recycle that capital when loans pay off and new opportunities are there, which is the nature of our business. And to be able just to contain that in a fund has 
has been, uh, we're, we're already seeing administrative benefits to that and, and our investors are accepting it uh, very well. We think that's going to allow us to uh, attract some family offices who previously, which are larger investors by definition, previously just weren't going to keep up with this on an individual loan by loan kind of decision to look at our track record overall and make an investment decision as something that they can do. That's going to increase our investor base and allow us to make larger loans and I think, you know, grow that significantly. That's what we're seeing for the next couple of years. Yeah. Does that also put more uh, pressure on you guys in terms of, you know, generating certain certain returns for those investors? Uh, the expectations about the same. Our investors are are expecting to earn around an eight uh, percent return, and and we've delivered that. Most of our investors are looking for that stability and boring uh, sort of result. They're not expecting us to hit a home run. That's not what what we're about. We try to make loans that allow us uh, to sleep well at night, and that's uh, and that's what we see. A continuation, but just uh, perhaps more flexibility in the fund and the ability to make larger transactions fund yeah. our growth. So, as you guys, you know, look at some of those lessons learned, and you know, both throughout the industry and also starting your your own firm and now growing it, not just in terms of uh, you know geography, but also in 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 terms of things that you do. You know, how would you advise maybe somebody that wants to get into this business? Maybe somebody that's you know younger, less experienced. What would be some kind of good, uh, you know, g- good steps to you know take in their career to get to where you guys are? I would say, I mean, one of the things they taught uh, back when I was in college, right before Jerry hired me in the entrepreneur program, was entrepreneurship. So I grew up in a real estate development family. Wanted to be on the other side of the table on the lending side, but tell anyone, find who you think is the best private lender out there and start as a, a, a loan officer and uh, work your way up. That The experience that you gain from just intake, taking those, those calls where 90% of them are going to make no sense, but you learn something from every, <laughs> every one of those. And you'll, you'll go from having to spend an hour on a transaction to maybe uh, two or three minutes to know <laughs> whether it's uh, something real or not. But yeah, just just find a company that's admired that that you admire and get your foot in the door and and go from there. And for somebody who's thinking about getting into this business, I would I would say to them, it's not as easy as it looks. <laughs> we have a lot of new competitors uh, from time to time, depending on where we are in the cycle, coming in and. Offering offering money for less and getting very ag- aggressive in what they'll do, you know, eventually that that cycle comes around and and those those folks didn't make it. You know, they they pull out of the market once they get they get stung. Uh, it it is something that takes. Uh, it's difficult to scale in some ways. It, yep. it takes seasoned people looking hard at at, at every deal, and uh, you can't put it a formula on it and just say, if it fits in the formula, we're going to do the loan. Unlike residential lending, if, if you're lending in, in a track home community and a house is 1,200 square feet and just sold and the one you're looking to lend on down the street is 1,200 square feet, you're just not going to 
screw that one up too bad. But trying to put together just a formula and if the appraisal comes in with a certain LTV, you're going to fund it without going out and physically inspecting it, understanding if it's retail, if there's physical op- obsolescence, if it's a, <clears throat> a restaurant, did three others fail? It's on a great corner, but it just now is cursed. <laughs> there's just there, there's a lot of things that you can't um, you can't just run through a computer in commercial real estate um, like some funds try to do that come into our space and they very competitive and and uh, for the most part we a lot of times we won't compete with them and at the end of the day the the tide goes out and you know who's wearing shorts yeah very interesting well jerry and tr thank you both for uh taking the time to speak with us stay well and uh yeah good luck in your uh next endeavors and keep us posted on where things are going thanks Vlad. appreciate the time today thank you Thank you for listening to the Real Perspectives podcast. Stories like these help us shape our understanding of the industry, and we appreciate you taking the time to listen to it. Please follow us on any app where you get your podcasts and tell your colleagues about us. Thank you in helping us spread the word about our work and the industry that is changing the face of business.